Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. The prevalence of rosacea is difficult to determine. Some studies report that it occurs up to 22% of the population. Many cases go underdiagnosed or mismanaged. And in accordance with April being Rosacea Awareness Month, today we are speaking with dermatologists to debunk some of the most common rosacea myths. Welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host. And today I am speaking with Dr. Alice Rudd, dermatologist and founder of Skin Depth Dermatology. Dr. Rudd is a general surgical and cosmetic dermatologist affiliated with the Alfred Hospital, Melbourne, and the Skin and Cancer Foundation in Carlton. Dr. Rudd completed her medical degree at Monash University, Melbourne, and pursued her postgraduate dermatology studies through the Australasian College of Dermatologists. She's also a qualified yoga teacher. Dr. Rudd set up her practice in St Kilda in mid-2016 and leads a well-trained hand-picked team to provide delivery of optimal dermatologic care. Dr. Rudd has worked for many years in all areas of dermatology with patients who suffer from sun damage, skin cancer, pigmentation, acne, acne scarring, eczema, hair loss, nail problems, photosensitive skin disorders, and of course, rosacea. She is passionate about helping those suffering with these debilitating diseases with a combination of both medical and natural therapies. And Dr. Rudd strongly believes in a holistic treatment to skin um, disease and conditions, employing medical and non-medical modalities to help her patients on the path to skin health. Dr. Rudd shares the most common misconceptions about rosacea and the importance of knowing your triggers. I started by asking Dr. Rudd what she thought was the biggest misconception about rosacea. Well, I think there's a, probably a few misconceptions, but one of the biggest ones is this ideal that rosacea is curable. And I have some patients that come to me wanting the magic bullet treatment and not wanting to commit to lifestyle change and care of their skin in the long term. So I think it's quite important to educate people that really, unfortunately, rosacea, like much of skin disease now, is a chronic condition and that it's unlikely that we can cure it, but we can certainly manage it. Yes. Uh, and whenever someone is recommended to have some lifestyle changes, I can imagine there's a little bit of a drawback to that. So I can... oh, much resistance. <laughs> yes. yes. So rosacea is known to be one of your special interests. Why is this? I think rosacea appeals to me because it's such a multifactorial condition. You know, as I said, it's not curable. It's a chronic disease and there's so many components to it. And it requires a quite holistic approach. So there's a skin-based approach, there's the lifestyle factors, there's internal factors. And being a holistic dermatologist, that sort of multifactorial disease appeals to my sort of management style. And I guess it requires an assessment and treatment based on the individual because rosacea can be so different in so many different people. And as you mentioned before, the environmental and lifestyle factors are obviously quite difficult to 
tackle. But I think it's one of those beautiful conditions where you get to work together and you often involve other skin specialists aside from dermatology, dermatologists and the patient. And it's one of those conditions that's lifelong. So you sort of get to build a rapport with a patient throughout the life of their rosacea and their life, I guess. And so I've sort of found that because it's a bit more difficult, I guess, to manage in that way, and it's not just put a cream on, write a prescription, that rosacea is quite poorly managed. And I guess we don't really understand fully what causes rosacea in its entirety. So something that's difficult to understand and there aren't that many good treatments often means that people don't want to address it and they sort of steer clear of it. So I, I feel that, that it's very poorly managed generally. And so that's, I guess, why I've developed an interest in it because it just hasn't been a good way of managing it as far as I've seen. Yeah, wonderful. And it's a challenge. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So tell us. For the patient and the practitioner. Yeah, which, I mean, I guess it keeps you on your toes. And so tell us more about rosacea. Well, rosacea is pretty common. I don't think we don't really know the true prevalence, but I suspect it's probably underreported. And I think there's a lot of people who have skin problems or skin issues or symptoms that probably have rosacea, but it's undiagnosed. Usually seen around the age of 30 to 60. And it's usually those people who've never had a problem with the skin. It's remarkable how many times I hear, I see a patient in their 30s saying, I never had a problem with the skin in my whole life. And now I've got these problems. And that's the usual story because it does occur a bit later in life as opposed to acne, for example, which occurs a bit earlier in life. And we know that it's common in people who've got fair skin, blue eyes, and that sort of Celtic origins. And for that reason, we probably think that chronic UV exposure probably is an important factor as well as some genetic and environmental factors. UV is probably one of the most important factors along with other things such as, you know, vascular problems and inflammation in the skin. Yes, interesting. And you mentioned that people often get it later in life. So there are different stages to rosacea. Are you able to walk us through the stages and then also when someone first presents to you with potential rosacea, they might not know what's happening. What are some of those symptoms that they're presenting with? Well, there's rosacea sort of characteristically categorised into four main categories. And I think it's useful because it's such a complex disease to categorise things. But in practice, it's probably not always what we see. But in my experience, most people start from probably slightly earlier in life with redness. And it might just be some intermittent flushing and blushing, which they might get with stress or alcohol or certain foods. And then it sort of seems to be a bit later that they develop little pustules. So they're not the traditional acne type pustules, but the category is called papular pustular rosacea, where they do sort of get central face redness and little pustules. And then later on, if they're severe and untreated, they can develop early changes of rhinophyma, which is sort of thickening of the collagen and the elastin in the nose, and they can get an enlarged nose. There is also an entity known as ocular rosacea, which is rosacea in the eye, which gives people blepharitis or just a dryness and a redness in the eye. And it's not really categorised, but I like to sort of have an extra category in rosacea for skin sensitivity, where because a lot of people experience a burning or a dryness or an extreme skin sensitivity, and that might be their only manifestation of rosacea. And that's a really important part to treat within the rosacea management plan. So I guess, yeah, the main stages is the redness, the pimples, the rhinophyma and the skin sensitivity. And for someone that might be categorised at the earlier stages, stage one, how likely is it that they're going to progress to those more further stages? 
It's very difficult to say because it's such an individualised disease. But in my experience, most people will get the redness, the sensitivity and the pustules and there's only a smaller proportion of people who will get the rhinophyma. Yeah. Okay. And for those that have rosacea, there are some lifestyle triggers that you have to consider in the consultation process. So what are some of these lifestyle triggers that they may need to be aware of? The absolutely most important one, which I think is under-recognised, is sun protection. As I mentioned, UV light and UV exposure is well known to be part of the etiology of rosacea. So sunscreen day, every single day, every day of the year is really important because we know that even light or visible light and UV light indoors can trigger rosacea. So one lifestyle factor is certainly photoprotection. And then, of course, there's the more difficult things to avoid, such as alcohol, spicy foods. A lot of people, it's a trigger is hot drinks, particularly coffee. These are things that people find very difficult to give up. Other situations that create heat where the body will want to vasodilate or want to cool you down, so will make you more red. And that's things like hot yoga or running. Some people even find it in a hot room. It's difficult to avoid emotional triggers. You know, if you're stressed or you're giving a presentation, a little bit anxious, I mean, these things are very difficult to control. But I guess it's being conscious of them and trying to take yourself away from those kind of situations. Yeah, really important. And just curious, I'm not sure if you know a specific statistic, but due to the sun exposure in Australia, are we seeing higher rates of rosacea here as well? I think we probably have some of the highest rates in the world. And most of the time when I see people with rosacea, I also look for and usually see sun damage such as actinic keratosis or even skin cancer. So I would say we probably have some of the highest rates in the world. Yeah, interesting. But I don't know the actual figure. Yeah. So when treating a skin condition such as rosacea, it's common for therapists maybe not to consider the whole health of a patient or even for someone with rosacea to realise that there are some comorbidities of rosacea. So how important is it for them to further investigate these potential links? It's very controversial in terms of the links with rosacea. At one stage, we thought that microbes in the gut might have played a big role and we used to think that helicobacter pylori for example in the gut would contribute to rosacea but we've probably found that to be less of a problem now we understand that as some dietary factors will certainly contribute but that's really just more in terms of triggers many people have tried to investigate the gut and skin link in rosacea but unfortunately the studies aren't that robust and the science is not that strong we have learned that there are things within the skin such as the demodex mite and other sort of local factors that may be contributory. But in terms of investigation, unless there's really the only investigation that should be considered is if the patient flushes significantly and flushes beyond the face, including chest, back or arms, then it might be reasonable to consider a screen to exclude that they haven't got another cause for their flushing, such as a thyroid or an internal tumour or some endocrine abnormality. So it's probably less important with rosacea and less studied in terms of the links as opposed to something like acne. Yes, interesting. However, of course, if you're seeing a dermatologist for your rosacea and it is going further than your face, it's likely that they might do some further investigations. But those earlier stages, it's not warranted. No. Yeah. Okay. So what are some of the most common treatments for rosacea from perhaps least invasive to most invasive? 
it's obviously important to consider general measures such as reducing your triggers, reducing your environmental impact, to completely avoid things like steroid creams or irritants or topical treatments that worsen the rosacea. It's important to nourish the skin and use things that are very gentle. And most people who have rosacea have had that skin sensitivity for a while, so they will naturally migrate to using gentle products. But a lot of rosacea can be managed with just some very gentle skincare. But of course, that doesn't improve the rosacea. That just makes it not get worse. So I always feel that it's important to get the barrier of the skin back under control, which can be done with the use of topicals, and then gradually add in some more active topical ingredients that will change the skin and improve the rosacea. And I guess from a dermatological point of view, we, we usually would consider topical treatments in the form of antibiotics, such as metronidazole, um, brominidine, which is a topical treatment that reduces temporarily facial redness. And more recently, we've had the use of topical ivermectin, which is a topical antiparasitic agent, which treats the demodex mite that we think probably is contributory in rosacea. But not a lot of patients will want to use medical treatment. And I do feel that even though it's not that well reported in the dermatology literature, skincare can really help. And in using ingredients such as niacinamide, which is going to help with redness and pustules, and if the patient can tolerate topical retinol, there's a lot you can do without doing medical treatment. But there are some patients that just need to escalate the treatment and will need oral treatment. And the traditional treatment is a tetracycline antibiotic, which the patient would take for about six to 12 weeks, which really helps reduce pustules and a lot of the redness. And I find that that's a useful thing to then be able to stop the antibiotics and maintain on topical skincare because it's not ideal to obviously use antibiotics in the long term. And I try to educate my patients and say, you're going to have flares on and off throughout your life. We may need to escalate the treatment to antibiotics at times, but we don't want to give you those for a long time because eventually that interferes with your gut microbiome and might give you antibiotic resistance. So as long as the patient is on board with the fact that there's going to be flares and there'll be improvements and it's about empowering them, I guess, to know that when they do get bad or there is a flare, there are treatments that are available. And I guess all the treatments are based on an anti-inflammatory effect. And some of the treatments will be based on anti-redness, but most of it is anti-inflammatory, which we understand in rosacea is probably the most important thing to treat. Obviously, there are things like lasers and IPL, which are really fantastic for treating the redness. They can treat some of the inflammation as well. But I always try to make sure that people have their inflammation and papules and pustules controlled before they consider things like laser and IPL, because I think that the effect is diminished if there's active inflammation, which just brings back an amount of redness immediately. And I guess the final thing to say is that if you do, well, two final things to say is that if you are starting to develop an early rhinophyma, which is far less common, but possible there might be a surgical intervention that would be required for that. And one of my favourite treatments for rosacea is actually isotretinoin, which is a treatment obviously that we use for acne more commonly, but isotretinoin is well, you know, oral vitamin A is very well known to restore the skin's barrier. So a lot of people with rosacea who have very significant skin dryness or skin sensitivity are unable to tolerate much on their skin. So low-dose isotretinoin actually improves the skin barrier and makes them able to tolerate things better. It's also a fantastic treatment for papules and pustules, and it negates the need for antibiotics, which, as I mentioned, create resistance and microbiome issues. Yeah, really interesting. And because it is a lifelong condition, it's juggling whether 
like how often they're doing laser treatments because it's going to be obviously long cost, long kind of commitment to treatments that it really would depend on what the wanted outcomes for the patient are as well. So in regards to some of the risks, success rates, like considerations of some of the treatments that you mentioned, what are the main points that you cover in your consultation that seems to be key for you to include in, you know, the information that you're providing? I guess when you talk about risks, then really I see a lot of overprescription of antibiotics. And that's one of my main concerns, especially if patients have been managed by a general practitioner. They've often been years and years of antibiotics consistently. And that's a real concern for me because that really upsets the microbiome in the gut as well as the skin. So I always try to get people off antibiotics and onto alternative treatments and better managed topically. I guess that people want a quick fix when they've got rosacea, particularly flaring up, it's very uncomfortable. And I do see a tendency to people reaching for things like topical steroid creams, which of course temporarily make things a lot better, but eventually worsen things and promote an inflammatory cascade in the skin. Lasers, et cetera, as I said, are really important for redness. But again, I see a misuse of laser and IPL in the context of current inflammation, whereas I always try to reserve that for situations where the, the skin is actually better controlled without inflammation and then lasered. Yes, really good points. So you've mentioned in a previous panel discussion that rosacea is commonly misdiagnosed as conditions such as acne. So are you able to just explain a little bit more about that potential link of not acne and rosacea, but that misdiagnosis and then mismanagement? We used to call rosacea in the dermatology world acne rosacea. That was what rosacea was. And eventually we sort of dropped off the acne term. But we know that they are two completely distinct diseases. And I guess the problem with some forms of acne is that although acne is predominantly in a slightly different distribution to rosacea, it can occur in the areas, particularly if it's around the chin and the nose, which might well be mistaken for rosacea, may be mistaken for acne. But there's a few key things that you can sort of look for in the skin. The presence of comedones, blackheads, greasiness would be sort of less common in rosacea, whereas rosacea has a bit more of a dry tendency, flaky appearance, um, and a lot more redness beyond where the little pustules are. So I guess it's, it can be difficult sometimes to know. And the problem is if you think it's acne and you treat it with an acne-based treatment, you're likely to flare up the rosacea. So at least you'll then have your diagnosis. But the alternative to that is they, they can coexist. So they won't be the same thing, but some people are just unlucky and have acne and also have rosacea. Yes. So when would you kind of know, aside from perhaps doing acne treatments and then flaring up the rosacea, so, so then giving the <laughs> diagnosis. So you mentioned flakiness, redness, and at what point should someone go see a dermatologist for their rosacea if they haven't yet been diagnosed? Well, I guess if, if you're unsure, if, if you're treating someone and you're, or if you have these symptoms, then it's probably reasonable to go and get the correct diagnosis. I, you know, and I would always advocate going to see someone who can diagnose you straight away so that you then get the best treatment. But there's always going to be clues. You know, most people who have rosacea, as I mentioned earlier, will also be sun damaged. So you can look for things such as sun damage or a history of sun exposure you know, there's simple clues. If they're fair-skinned and blue-eyed, they're more likely, if they've got redness in their skin and sensitivity, they're more likely to have rosacea. But I guess the thing is you want to try and present as soon as you can because you want to get down the right treatment path as soon as you possibly can. Yes. And how has treatments for rosacea changed over the years? They haven't changed much. Yeah. 
I think, you know, we've always been giving people antibiotics for years for rosacea and that's all we've had. I guess there are these new topical treatments that have come to light in the last few years, a few different types of prescription medication. But I think it's really, we're still very much in the dark with rosacea and we still don't know a lot of what actually happens in terms of inflammation in the skin. So I'm not sure that a lot's changed, but I think we're probably better at diagnosing it. And I think that therefore you can direct the treatments that we currently have a bit more effectively. Yeah. So what do you think we'll see in the future of rosacea treatment? Is there any studies being performed of potential links or potential causes? Well, there's a lot of research that's gone into rosacea etiology recently. And we know that there's a role of a couple of proteins in the skin, which are catholicidins and matrix metalloproteinases. So probably there's some interaction between these enzymes and proteins that are in the skin and collagen and elastin. And I think that we will, once we get to the bottom of those, that particular type of inflammation that's happening in rosacea, we'll be able to better direct our treatments with anti-inflammatory agents that actually are directed towards the process rather than giving somebody an antibiotic, which is going to control any kind of inflammation in their skin such as acne or rosacea or perioral dermatitis, we're actually going to be able to direct the anti-inflammatory to the source of the inflammation in the skin. And I think that once we're able to establish what the proteins actually do, then we'll have far more effective treatments. Mm, Really interesting and potentially see less progression into the later stages of rosacea. Hopefully. Yeah. So would these, what the current studies, would these be things that might be taken long-term or would it just be taken during someone's having a flare-up? Well, I I think it would probably be a mix. What I would hope is that there's things you could use long-term so that you can then prevent a flare-up, ideally. But I suspect that that we'll still have a range. There'll be still some people that even though they're using long-term treatment, will flare up and they'll need to escalate to something that's a bit more of a powerful anti-inflammatory. Yeah. And in regards to ingredients, you mentioned if someone has rosacea, they might be already deterring to things that cause sensitivity on their skin. But what are some of the main or what are some of the perhaps ingredients that people aren't aware of that might actually be leading to increased sensitivity aside from the obvious ones of fragrances, harsh exfoliants, etc.? Yeah. One of the biggest things I see is the use of vitamin C. So vitamin C is quite irritating and you off, I often ask people what they're using and vitamin C usually makes people immediately red in people who are sensitive. And I find it's a big misconception because people love the glow that they get from vitamin C. But unfortunately, over the long term, I find that, that, that vitamin C actually increases redness and sensitivity. So that's certainly something that people need to look at removing from their skincare. Obviously, retinol is amazing for rosacea, but initially, unless your barrier is intact, you're probably not going to be able to tolerate it, and that can further cause inflammation in the skin. So get using the right type of retinol and getting where it needs to be is, is important. So I think probably, yeah, there's some of the two main things that I see. Obviously, anything that contains lactic acid, as you said, sort of exfoliating, lactic acid is well-known to exacerbate rosacea. And in fact, the only test that we have for rosacea that we've had for a long time is, is to actually perform what's called a lactic acid test, where if you put lactic acid on somebody who's potentially got rosacea, they will flare. So, you know, avoiding anything that changes the pH or reduces the pH that significantly is potentially going to flare rosacea as well. Interesting about the lactic acid because lactic acid is often used for kind of more hydration. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
but but the pH of that is not helpful in rosacea, whereas something like salicylic acid would probably be better. Yeah, really interesting. Mm. So what would you say to someone that has rosacea? Would you be able to share perhaps three pieces of advice? I think you have to commit to a management plan and be compliant in the long term. There's no point seeking advice and getting a plan if you're not actually going to commit to it because, as we've said, it's chronic and it's really something that you need to manage in the long term. So there's a really big level of commitment and compliance. Having a a plan for a flare-up so that if you feel like you're starting to flare up or, you know, the skin is starting to become unbalanced, what to do in that situation so that there's not an SOS when it gets to a really disastrous point. And once it's controlled, try to keep it controlled. So one of the things I see is that people, you know, I give people treatment, might be with medication and then they feel good and their skin's improved so they just then do nothing and you have to educate people in the fact that they're going to potentially get a flare again and it's about keeping that management in the long term and I guess using the lowest strength of everything you can in as few amounts as possible but that is enough to maintain the skin in the long term. Yeah great advice. So Dr Rod where can people find more about you? Well they can come and visit us in the clinic at Skin Depth Dermatology or they can Find us online or on Instagram at Skin Depth Dermatology and we're very happy to talk to people about their rosacea in depth and hold their hand throughout the journey of their rosacea. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. What a great interview. Dr. Rudd shared so many little snippets of gold and information to help keep rosacea at bay. And the three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were, number one, I'm sorry to those with rosacea, but it is a lifelong condition. And Dr. Rudd explains that making a change to many lifestyle habits can be really challenging. Hello, who wants to give up their daily coffee? But it is important to understand your triggers and try and avoid them if you want to prevent flare-ups or progression of the disease. Number two, UV damage can be linked to increasing rosacea symptoms. This is just one extra reason to make sure you are really diligent with your sun safety. And just because the weather is now getting cooler does not mean that accumulative damage won't increase your risks of developing rosacea or progressing it. Number three, some common ingredients that are recommended for rosacea may in fact be leading to sensitivity. So put that lactic acid away and vitamin C and opt for ingredients such as niacinamide and vitamin A when tolerated, of course, and under the guidance of your healthcare provider or dermal clinician. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Heal by Skin podcast. Until next week, stay skin powered.